at the Football Overview. Today, Vinicius bags a brace as Liverpool falter in Madrid. Foden, Bellingham and Mount stand out, making Southgate's job even more difficult. PSG's triumph in Munich, our Champions League predictions, end of the show quiz, plus our top five England right-backs to start this summer's Euros. That's your roundup this week at the Football Overview. Hello and welcome to the Football Overview. Today I'm joined by Luke Bateman. Good evening, Dylan. Callum McCormack. Evening, Dill. And Johan Aslett. Thanks for having me on, Dill. And it was a huge week, wasn't it, in the La Liga title race? And just two months ago, Atletico were clear by 10 points with a match in hand. Now, following a 1-0 loss to Sevilla, they are on the verge of bottling it. And on Monday, Barcelona had the chance to be within one point of Atletico and they took it with Usman Dembele's late 90th minute strike, which secured a 1-0 win over Valladolid. As a favourite of ours at this show, Cal, I know you personally will want to congratulate Dembele on his recent performances. Uh, yeah, not really. I mean, keeper should have saved that last one. But, um, you know, he's playing well, just not as well as Pulisic has been. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be one of those tonight, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we got, Let's embrace it. Yeah, we've got plenty of good debates for you guys tonight. But just before then, your moments of the week. Luke, what was yours? My moment of the week, Dylan, was Phil Foden, the 19, 20-year-old, whoever old he is, he's very young, um, scoring that winner late on in the Champions League against Dortmund for Manchester City. Great moment, big moment. He's having a lot of them this season, and that was another one to add to the collection. Cal, your moment of the week. My moment of the week was also in the Champions League. It was Ben Chilwell rounding the Porto goalkeeper to put them 2-0 up after the first leg. A fantastic goal from Mount as well. Uh, Chelsea, really professional um, display against Porto and looked like they have one leg into the semi-finals of the Champions League. And finally, Yose, your moment of the week. Okay, so I selected Liverpool's calamity of a performance against Real Madrid. You know, I think the likes of me and Dylan are going to feel very vindicated given our pretty cynical assessment on him. I think it was actually the previous week. So, you know, it's just a very rejuvenating feeling being so accurate in our judgment. And it's a very good feeling. So that's all I get to say. We'll get on to Trent a little bit later on in our top five England right backs debate. But firstly, I'd just like to go on to the Liverpool-Real Madrid game. And before this game, Liverpool had shown good Champions League form, hadn't they? However, they had only played two matches in the Champions League since December. And obviously in December, that's when we saw a huge drop, didn't we, in Liverpool's performances, in their intensity. And both of those matches were against Leipzig, weren't they? And with Leipzig's lack of pace to really hurt Liverpool's high line... Was this performance, Luke, really a surprise against Real Madrid with the likes of Vinicius and Benzema just dropping off the front on the counter-attack? I think it's a really good point about the pace in behind. I've got to be honest with you, I really fancied Liverpool the other night. Um, Call me crazy, but Real Madrid uh, have not been quite themselves in the last couple of years, maybe the last two seasons. Having no Varane, having no Ramos, having no Carvajal, having no Marcelo, the entire back four that the bedrock of their success has been built upon, especially in the Champions League in the last six years, I thought Liverpool were going to have a good day. And this is a Liverpool, by the way, as we know, that are not in great form themselves this season, far from it. But as you say, you know, Vinicius was absolutely 
unplayable, uh, or at least they made him look unplayable the other night. Uh, it was the first brace of his career, I think. Uh, Asensio's been very inconsistent ever since he broke through, and he looked excellent. Um, Benzema didn't get a goal, but he was causing them problems going in behind. I, th I think it was a brilliant game, absolutely brilliant game. It was thrilling, and they could have had more Real Madrid. They really could have done. Liverpool going into this match, obviously they had that good performance against Arsenal, wasn't it? Especially that final 30 minutes with the introduction of Jota. And obviously he kept the other front three on at the same time, didn't he, Klopp? And I was sort of wondering before the match whether Klopp would adopt the same approach heading into this Real Madrid game. And obviously you mentioned there, without the likes of Ramos and Varane at the back, with the inexperienced back four that they played with Vazquez, Militao, Nacho and Mendy, would a formation of 4-2-4 with that fab four of Liverpool have proved effective, Cal, against Real Madrid? I believe so. Yeah, the starting lineup really shocked me, to be honest. Not just Firmino being dropped, but also not having uh, Thiago in there uh, and having Cater instead. Now, I've said plenty of times uh, Thiago hasn't had um, the best of seasons with Liverpool so far. But I think especially since Fabinho's been uh, reintroduced into that midfield, it looks like his game has come on leaps and bounds. Still not quite at the peak of what you'd expect, but definitely a lot better. Now, in such an important game to bring in a player who's hasn't played much, I don't know what his playing stats are, but I can't imagine he's had many minutes at all, Navigator, even off the bench. To, uh, and Klopp, before the game started, said that his his performances in training warranted his start. Well, he was brought off after 41 minutes. So it was a shambolic choice. I haven't seen Keita have a good performance in the Liverpool shirt yet. That really shocked me. And as for Diogo Jota, a player I like a lot, he's looked amazing off the bench for Liverpool. Really exciting talent. But he looked lost in, in that game against defenders who, as you've already said, aren't experienced, aren't aren't world beaters. Um, and he still looked like he he was lost and he was totally out of his depth. Um, Callum, do you think that Thiago being on the bench was more a message to Thiago than a show of faith for Cater, Or do you think that's cynical? I don't think it would have been cynical because you've brought him on after 41 minutes. So if it was to teach him a lesson, then quite clearly Thiago's won that debate because he's had to be brought on in the first half. It was a baffling decision. Liverpool were really poor. And I'll open the floor to someone else to let them speak about the game. Yeah, and you mentioned Naby Keita and he hasn't been in the starting eleven recently, hasn't he? The last time he'd been in the starting eleven in the Premier League was against Fulham in that loss at home, wasn't it? And before that, the last time he'd played in the Premier League was against Crystal Palace. Almost a difference there of three months, aren't you, between the Crystal Palace and the Fulham game. But touching back on the absentees at the back for Real Madrid, and Real Madrid, without Ramos, have lost seven of their last ten UEFA Champions League matches. And playing the 4-3-3, not pressing Real Madrid high, Ramos is so key to Real Madrid's ability to be able to pass through an opposition team who like to press. And obviously, if you were to press the likes of Militao and Nacho, that then wouldn't have allowed Cruz and Modric to dictate the game, would it? These guys have lost their legs, haven't they? And Liverpool just allowed these guys to control and dictate this match. 
So after the match, Yos, Klopp said that they made it too easy for Real Madrid. But has Klopp got anybody else to blame? Uh, it's a very good question. Of course, he has himself to blame. I think he's been reluctant in making many adaptations, obviously, to the structure of the team. I think you take a look, obviously, as he was with Dortmund, he's always been that somewhat one-dimensional manager to a large extent. But uh, speaking on the game, again, very underwhelming performance from Liverpool. They looked very flustered. And, you know, it's almost kind of as if the progression undergone the last three years since Klopp arrived was very much non-existent. It looked very discomposed in possession. At every given opportunity, they're in possession. Uh, they just were coercing the ball to go outside, out wide even. And it was just very predictable. And from Madrid's standpoint, it was very easy to dispatch of. And I was really kind of disappointed that they didn't really do much to kind of capitalise on the vulnerabilities of Madrid's uh, midfield, as you explained. Because obviously it's a very ageing squad, they can't cover as much distance. But most fundamentally, I just thought that the lack of pressure that was really imposed on Madrid really played to their favour, as you already mentioned right there. It enabled the likes of Cruz and Modric to, to claim control, assert their dominance in the game... And consequently, it led to the first goal in which we saw Cruz obviously execute that brilliant pass to Vinicius over the head of the regressing Arnold, as I would say. And they were just capable in seeing off the game. But by all means, it was a very disappointing performance by Liverpool. Johan, can I just interrupt to ask an opinion on Phillips and Quebec? Can you understand why Klopp gave them a stay of execution because of their performances against Arsenal and Wolves in the Premier League with the two clean sheets? And then... Will it also be the end for them in the rest of the Champions League campaign? Well, I've got to be honest with you. I don't actually think he's too satisfied with them being there. He's been compelled to be playing them for the obvious reason, the fact they have so many injuries. When the transfer window does open, I would be... Well, you, you at least would have thought he would be seeking to do some major modifications to the defence. But um, I don't think Klopp's going to be impressed by them whatsoever. I'd be very surprised, personally, if they were to stay there too long. Yeah, they've obviously got the option, haven't they, on Kabak in terms of if they want to make that permanent to the end of the season. There's been other rumours linking Ibrahima Kanate from Leipzig to Liverpool as well. So it'll be interesting to see this summer if they do make any business. And just before we go on to Trent, playing the 4-2-4, I know I've mentioned it a few times now, but if you think about it, in that final 30 minutes against Arsenal, when they played that shape, they scored three goals, didn't they? Within 30 minutes, as I said at the start. And also, if you think about the third goal that Arsenal conceded, it was from that Gabriel misplaced pass, wasn't it? And you think, if they were to have applied that pressure to that Real Madrid back four, Militao isn't great in possession of the ball, Nacho's a little bit better, but neither are of the quality of Ramos, surely that would have caused them huge pressure early on in the game on that Real Madrid inexperienced back four. Definitely, definitely. The Liverpool totally lacked intensity in as a team, defending from the front, in their pressing, and in individual performances. I'd say only Salah, you could argue, had looked intense on the pitch. But, you know, one player can't do it all. Mane's been atrocious um, from almost every aspect of his game. And that front four, it almost compromises for the lack of energy pressing high because you've got more players forward. And... It was outstanding to me that he didn't start with that four. But even that they didn't start with that four, that there was such a lack of intensity. It it was abysmal. They only had one shot on target, didn't they, with Mane, Jota and Salah. And you would have thought, playing the way that we've suggested, they surely would have had more than that. just that one shot on target. 
But we mentioned Trent a little bit earlier on, and we mentioned that debate we're going to have, and we're going to get into that now. So, for this summer's Euros, rank your top five England right-backs in terms of who you trust to start for England in a back four against Croatia in their opening match. If we start with Callum from five to three. Okay, so in fifth I have Trippier, fourth Walker, and third I have Rhys James. Okay, and we'll go to Luke. Fifth, I have Trippier. Fourth, I have Walker. Third, I have Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Yeah, so two very similar lists there from five to three. Yos, what did you go for? Okay, so in fifth, I've gone for Rhys James. In fourth, I've gone for Carl Walker. And third, I've gone for Wan-Bissaka. Okay, so... Everyone's agreed on Walker then, I think, aren't they? Yeah, so... You guys have gone for Walker all fourth, haven't you? So I've gone for Trent in fifth, Wan Bissaka in fourth, and Matty Cash in third. Okay, Matty me... Cash. Okay, so who have you left out? Does that mean Aaron Wan Bissaka doesn't get into the top five? No, no. So I have Wan Bissaka in fourth. I've left out Reese James. Before you out mark the five. Yeah. Before you mark me, Yoan yeah. hasn't even got Trent in his what? top five. No, no. I <laughs> I've completely ruled him yes. out. <laughs> I promise you, he's not in my top five. Based on what I'm looking at, he's incapable of defending. And for me, I just don't understand how anyone can actually genuinely think he's a good right back. I, I just don't understand it. I, w- I would hope you would agree with that. Obviously not. Okay, well, well let's get into this. I know was, he was very bad against yeah. against Real Madrid. The, the header was he terrible. He was shocking. Yeah, he, he, he was shocking. What about the performance against Arsenal the week before? Are yeah. you, you're actually gonna you're gonna seriously try and justify him as a player based on Arsenal's yeah. performance against Liverpool? No pressure. Okay. Okay. Well, Arsenal. I think beat Kevin Chelsea McNaughton would have looked very good that game at the age of forty-two. <laughs> well, Arsenal have beaten <laughs> Chelsea this season. Does that mean no. Arsenal better than Chelsea? That was a Delampard. A Delampard's no, completely different oh, Chelsea honestly. team now. Absolutely. There is no way you could justify that performance based on Arsenal's. Display. I mean, they were absolutely shambolic. It was one of the worst displays I've seen from Arsenal in many years, and that's a statement in itself, being how regretted I, they've been I the last 10 years. Yeah, I don't think that's quite true. You, you obviously don't watch them as much as me. That, 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 I actually that, think I, get, I, I get the point you make. I get the point you're making, though. Um, okay, but, but which, one, which one is the real trend? Over the, the period of years since he's come into the side, there's been more world-class than bad. I'm not even saying more good than bad. There's been more world-class than bad. Surely you'd agree on that. I'll give you that he's been very bad this season. Surely you'd Well, agree no, all that. I'm saying is, I think this season, based on just how the drop of form Liverpool have obviously undergone, it's just exposed him for being a liability that he is, defensively speaking. They've also been under a lot more siege. Obviously, they're not as formidable as they are in terms of getting goals. And obviously, I, again, I, I just think he's really been exposed for the absolute amateur defensive player he is. It doesn't mean he's not a technically gifted player. Of course he is. But, you know, the the role of a right-back is to be great defensively, and he can't deliver from that standpoint. So I just don't understand how anyone can generally think that he warrants a start in the England team. He's won a Champions League, saying. and he's been the starting right-back in a, in a, yes. in a Premier League winning side at right-back. Yes. <laughs> That's, like, my first point. <laughs> That's why he gets in. My top okay, five. So, so, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. so your justification five, is based on last year's performance, but that's completely irrelevant. That was a completely different Liverpool team. The way they were played with the relentless pressing, I think it very much, you know, he had an easy, t- let's, he had an easy go, let's be honest. Right now, he is absolute li- a liability. He's got better defensive stats than the rest of them. 
Are you kidding me? Oh, come on. I, I know you're, you know, I know you're in denial, but that, that is just one of the most ridiculous things. Well, come have you got on, the stats here in front of you? Because I got, I got them in front of me. Please read them. <laughs> go on, Cal. Go with your top two. Just before you ma- name the stats, just name your top okay, two. Okay, okay. So, obviously, I had, just to remind everyone, I had Trippier, Walker, James from five to three. I've gone for Wan-Bissaka in second. And I, in Trent, I've got first. Oh, um, sorry. In first, I've got Trent. <laughs> Oh um, my god! <laughs> right, so uh, I, I, to be honest, I foresaw uh, that you guys would be loving Kieran Trippier. So I've only got my comparison to Trippier with Trent. From an attacking point of view, none of them are better than him. That's no, that's we agree. I agree with that. So's Hudson Odoi. Yeah. Oh my word! Let's not it's listen true. to that. Right, we we haven't got enough. T- <laughs> this podcast doesn't last long. You're going to tell me again. I'm wrong. You're wrong. So moving okay. on. I don't have to say his attacking statistics, but his expected assists, expected goals are better than all the other right backs. I'm going to go for tackles attempted. He's made 61 compared to Trippier, who's 58. I know that tackles attempted, what does that mean? Anyone can have, anyone can make a load of tackles. But his tackle percentage is actually higher than, than Trippier. And for what he offers going forward, that's why he's my number one. Do you know, we should play Theo Walcott right back. Honestly, he'd be so good. He delivers. He'll get so many assists. He would be brilliant, wouldn't he, Callum? <laughs> Trent's a better attacker than Walcott. Honestly, he'd be, he'd be brilliant, based on your logic. I'm just saying. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's retired now from the England squad. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Johan, <laughs> um, um, I've got James second and I've got Trent first as well. But also, this isn't a wind-up, because I do actually... I accept all your points, by the way. Okay. Um, I, I am not sitting here and saying... I don't believe you. I think Trent has performed admirably this season. I think he's a really, really good defender. But okay. it isn't just about defending either. I know the role of the right back is to defend. Yes. But I'm not necessarily choosing a defence that is definitely, definitely going to keep clean sheets. If I was, I would probably have Aaron Wambisaka top. I'm choosing overall the best player and still, I think, the best player that I can fit onto that team. If I actually was taking everyone to training and I'm looking at everyone and I'm looking at Perisic and I'm looking at Mandzukic and who's going to play down that left channel for Croatia, maybe I would go with Aaron Wan-Bissaka because he's really, really good at tackling. But I've got to choose who I think is the best player still. And I think that that is still Trent, who hasn't really let England down either, we've got to remember. So I agree with your points. But Trent, you've heard the stats as well from Callum. We know his qualities. I still think he is the best slash most promising player of those five. What I'll say is Callum's named one statistic to support that Trent is a better defender than Trippier. And we all know here that defending is a lot more than just an ability to tackle. Because as Luke just said there, if you're talking about an ability to tackle 1v1, you're going with Juan Basaka. However, we all know here, because we all watch a lot of the Premier League, Juan Basaka does not read the game defensively very well. So from crosses, on the counter-attack, he doesn't get back into position enough and quick enough. So for my top two, I was debating between Trippier and Walker. And I mentioned a few weeks back about Walker's inability to deal with balls from the opposition wing. He doesn't open his body out. And that's why I've gone for Trippier. And I understand what you're saying. He might have a, you know, a 1%, 2% better tackle accuracy. However, defending is a lot more than just being able to tackle in terms of 1v1. Trippier is the best at reading the game. 
He's the best at getting into position back and working it as a unit in that back four. And Luke, you mentioned that you're not looking to get clean sheets at the Euros. Surely, when you're playing the likes of France, when you're playing the likes of Belgium with Hazard and Mbappe, you cannot trust Trent as your right back. Surely. Absolutely. Is this right back someone that I'm not allowed to change at any point in the tournament? Yes, apparently. Is that the idea? Well, the idea is that Croatia are one of the top teams. They've got a top winger in Perisic. And yeah. that's. I know Perisic is not of the same standard of Mbappe and Hazard. However, he is still very good 1v1. And he would tear Trent to shreds, as Vinicius yeah. has just proven a few days ago. Basically, anyone who's half decent, he's a liability. And it's been shown all through this season. But I'm honestly not sure I can trust Trippier more. I mean, oh, we have seen this. We, but we have seen this oh. battle already in the World Cup semi-final. We, we've seen it already. Like we've seen it. I know he scored a great goal. You know that was terrific. But we have He's seen brilliant. that he battle already. I think I would rather <laughs> really persevere with 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 Trent and just really really try and put him through his paces ahead of the Euros. I mean, it's not like he's not kept a clean sheet this season or not made a tackle. I mean, he is pretty good. You know, he is still quite good. I mean, should we maybe talk about James because he does seem like maybe a compromise? Because I can't believe Trippier is so high up on your thing. Actually, Yoan, can I just ask you really quickly? Would you have Walker or Trent? Walker or Trent, as of right now. Well, in this scenario, I would go Walker personally because I just think his okay. one-on-one defending is a lot better. I think he's got greater stamina, and yeah, purely from that standpoint, I would go Walker. Honestly, I, I just think he's a bit more vigilant. I think he's better position-wise, and I just think if you were to be playing the likes as didn't mention Belgium, France, I think he'd do a better job in containing them. So I do feel like I've seen him make as many mistakes as I've seen Trent make this season, though. No, come on. Really? Walker, I, I do. If Walker or Trippier are playing against Vinicius on Tuesday, yeah, that's literally what are they say. being exposed to the same degree of Trent? And going back to what Callum said earlier, he mentioned that Trent, he's been a part of a winning team for years, and there's no denying that. However, that was a team, as I said a few weeks back, with a fantastic pressing mechanism, exactly. with Henderson alongside him, with the likes of Gomez and Van Dijk. When you take those guys out of the team... And imagine Trent alongside John Stones with potentially Phillips or Mount in the midfield with Declan Rice. They're not going to be able to create that pressing mechanism that Klopp built at Liverpool where Trent flourished. If Southgate had months to prepare for this tournament and was looking to build a team similar to Liverpool and they had players of a similar type to Liverpool, I would understand where you're coming from. However, Southgate has weeks to prepare you know, you have hardly any time to prepare. So you go for the right back who you trust most. You go for that 7 out of 10 every week. And that's what Trippier is. He's the most reliable, most solid. Can I just say about... Because I think we're all... When we're speaking about Trent's performance against Real Madrid in the week, we're thinking about the second goal. Am I right? It, when he... It was a dreadful header from being caught out, essentially. Was that the first or the second goal? I've, I've forgotten now. The first one was when the ball came over the top, yeah. Even the yeah, third goal, right. Calvo, wasn't it? When Vinicius came in on the back post and Trent and Phillips, neither of them picked him up at all. Nobody was talking. Yeah, yeah, no, the, definitely, definitely. But Wijnaldum's also stood still. Half the team has stood still. And if one person stood still, it breeds lack of intensity. If I see him not doing his job, I try and get away with me not doing my job. Is that what you want for England? The fact that he can't no. deliver in the vulnerable team. 
stop jumping down my throat and let me finish my point. I'm talking about Trent from a positional point of view. That when Cruz is given that much time on the ball because the team aren't pressing, I don't know if they're being told not to press or being told to press because they're not doing their job. But if Trent's of the mindset they're supposed to be pressing, then that's the reason he's starting high. But when Cruz has got the ball that much time, as a defensive unit, you have to drop off. And if yeah. you look at the, the analysis after the game, Robertson and Trent drop a couple of yards and Quebec and Phillips don't. And it ends up that Trent and Robertson are behind Quebec and Phillips instead yeah. of Quebec and Phillips being five or ten yards further back than the fullbacks. Now, if those centre-backs are there, that goal doesn't happen. No, I, I totally agree with that, Carl. Totally agree. However, as I've just said, it was not just that one rare occasion, was it, that Vinicius did Trent. It was often in the game that Vinicius had Trent in his back pocket. But that's only because you, you're giving such time to a quality player like Cruz and Modric who are going to find those passes, especially when the centre-backs aren't dropping off. And just to build on that point, the header back, which obviously is awful, we haven't seen 10 of those this season. What we've seen is the positional stuff, perhaps, where he's getting caught yeah. in between the right back position and the yeah. centre back. No, well, look, I... if he did do 10 of those header, headers back, he would be certified as the worst right back perhaps in the world. I mean, it's just not realistic. I know, but everyone has one in them, don't they? I mean, uh... Rudiger scored that own goal at Sheffield, Sheffield United, but they still kept... Yeah, he's not um, a good player. You know, but they still kept 10 clean sheets out of 11. We didn't kill oh, him. Okay. We didn't say, right, he must leave. He, he he still starts for Germany in a back three with Chan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They have nobody yeah, else. not the best argument. Can, can, I, tell you, can I tell you who's not, who doesn't deserve to be on this list? It's Matty yeah. Cash. Oh, come on. Who doesn't? Are you kidding me? You're not right, Matty Cash. He's not going to go. But... Well, no, he's on, he's on Dylan's list. Well, he's not going to go, but he's had a good season. Yeah, why wouldn't Cash be on your top five list? Because the five that I've mentioned are all better players than him. Right. If Matty Cash plays for Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, Man Mm -hmm. City, he's all in the top two or three on these lists, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. No, he gets far too many bookings. He's far too unreliable. He makes challenges. Unreliable, Trent. Unreliable? He's been the most consistent right back out of all those in the list, I'd say. Yeah, consistently average. Oh, Callum, I think on, you're Cal. being a bit harsh. I think he has had a very good season. He wouldn't go. He won't go. He's not in the top five. I think he has to stop watching highlights and watch actual games. D- Dylan having him third on his list is outrageous. <sighs> I, that is quite high, Dylan. That is quite high. Hang on, I've got him second. Well, right? No, you haven't. I promise you, I've got him <laughs> second. I refuse to listen anymore. I refuse to listen. He's Same consistent. Magic- he's solid. He delivers. But you didn't name right. him in your World Cup squad last week. <laughs> we haven't announced our squads. We've done our starting 11s. But he, d- he hasn't been mentioned on this podcast until this week. And we've discussed right backs. In terms of why we haven't mentioned him before, obviously a few weeks back, wasn't it, when we discussed the back fours, obviously last week it was the midfield three and the forward three. Obviously I was going with the wing back, wasn't it? So obviously I went Trippier. Johan went Trippier as his right back and he's gone with Trippier again as number one here. So that's why we didn't mention Matty Cash because we didn't think he ought to start and that's obviously what we've talked about. However, right, if I was Gareth Southgate... I would have actually started Matty Cash in the World Cup qualifiers. And let me explain this, because for me, when I've seen Matty Cash 
this season, he's been the most reliable, the most solid out of all these right-backs. We've all talked mm-hmm. about all the flaws of all these different right-backs. I agree, though, that you cannot play Matty Cash against Croatia with no prior international experience and no prior experience in these biggest matches. And that's why I've got Trippier and Walker ahead of Cash in third. He's the most reliable defensively. Aston Villa have had a fantastic clean sheet record this season. But they're the team that concedes one of the most shots in the league. The reason they've, they're they having those clean sheets is because of Martinez, mostly. Obviously, they've been good defensively as a whole. That like you, I'm not just saying it's only Martinez. And like I said, he's been average, maybe even good. Average. Conser's been okay, pretty good. Tyrone Mings has been okay, pretty good. Conser's been very good this season. Yeah, I, I think you're being a little harsh on Villa, actually. They have that, that back form. Cash and Conser have been very been good. Very, very good. Yeah. The whole back four actually has been very good. I've got Matt Target on my uh, number one for left backs <laughs> next week. <laughs> um, can, can we just talk about James just for a second? Because we haven't really mentioned him. Is no one having him or, or what? No, he's not in my top five. And the reason is... Not for in me, top Reece... five? No. For me, Reese James, he's got great pace, but he's poor I'd at crossing the ball. He's poor defending 1v1. He doesn't read the poor game defensively very well. I wouldn't say he's poor at crossing the ball. He no. executes one good cross every seven attempts. He's not fantastic. He has lots of opportunities to cross the ball. No, to be fair, sorry, he's not poor, but he's not as good as the likes of Trent and Trippier. That's what I mean. Yeah. I think he's better than Trippier. I no. think he's better than Trippier in no, open no way. play at crossing the ball. Are no you way. kidding me? I, I think he... No. <laughs> Do you watch Reese James? You're a Chelsea fan. I think he's very good on the ball. <laughs> i got to be honest, the only reason why he's fit for me is so I can develop a sense of pride for my team, for the players we produce. That is the only justification for him being fifth. I'm just being honest. I'm taking Richie then. <laughs> We're going to have to move on, guys. Otherwise, we could talk about this all day, couldn't we? That's right. There were some fantastic English performances this week in the Champions League, weren't there? Especially from some of the young players. So in Manchester City's 2-1 win over Dortmund, all the pre-match talk was all about Haaland, wasn't it? And going to the Etihad. However, Foden and Jude Bellingham both stood out, didn't they? Fantastically well. And Manchester City were almost left to rue their missed chances with Royce's late goal, wasn't it? Where Haaland played the ball, brilliant pass around the corner to Royce. Brilliant play from Bellingham as well in the build-up. However, Foden's 90th minute strike secured that 2-1 win and puts them in the driving seat now for the second leg. And in Chelsea's 2-0 win against Porto, although Chelsea were very nervy, weren't they? They were very nervous in the first half. And I think that was possibly down to the 5-2 defeat, wasn't it, to West Brom? on the weekend however Mount's goal just eased the nerves didn't it through the Chelsea team and that performance from Mount really stood out on Wednesday evening but now to Bayern Munich against PSG and what weeks both teams have had so for Bayern in the Bundesliga they defeated Leipzig by one goal to nil which took them seven points clear in Ligue 1 PSG lost one nil to Lille which meant Lille are now three points clear of PSG at the top with just seven matches to play. And Neymar was sent off with two yellow cards late in that game. And you could have argued he ought to have been sent off for, it was like a push into the Lille player's head. On another day, he would have got sent off. However, it was contrasting weekends to the game in midweek where PSG defeated Bayern by three goals to two. And what a match it was. This result ended Bayern's 19-winning Champions League streak and it was their first loss at home since November 2019. Now, guys, is there any logic you can think of why Hansi Flick, the Bayern coach, played a high line against PSG 
with Mbappe and Neymar? If we start with Cal. Uh, no, is a simple answer. Other than it worked for him in the final, but it didn't work really, let's be honest. PSG deserved, or were the more deserving of the two sides. Um, the one thing I will say is Bayern still created enough chances to win uh, in that game. Um, if Lewandowski is playing, you know, it's a total different game, but obviously he's not. So when you know your best player, and your best finisher as well, isn't starting, you have to take those precautions because yeah. they still have great talent up front. But you've got to be willing to accept that a player chasing good Muller's record isn't going to be replaced by anyone you've got in the squad. So you you have to take those defensive precautions, especially when you're playing the, probably the most lethal counter-attacking side in Europe. In uh, Especially definitely two counter-attacking players in Mbappe and Neymar. Um, it's naive, I think, because the way that Bayern like to dominate games, they thought they could dominate, especially at home against PSG. Um, but, you know, the quality that PSG had um, just showed that you can't afford to do that against such a great side. Yeah, I think Bayern's setup really showed how naive Flick was, wasn't it, going into this match? And even his post-game comments, he said that with the chances we had, we could have got a good result despite conceding three goals. Almost a similar mentality to Keegan at Newcastle, wasn't it, when they were chasing the title? You know, you you score four, we score five. Callum, you mentioned the, the Champions League final, wasn't it? And I would argue that PSG were actually a lot more effective in that game under Tuchel than they were yesterday with Pochettino. And just to prove this, you mentioned Bayern's chances created. In terms of the expected goals in this game, Bayern had an expected goals of 4.14, PSG just 1.54. So that shows how effective PSG were in taking their chances. What do you make of it, Luke? Do you think that Pochettino was just very lucky with this? Because I wasn't really impressed with PSG's setup, especially when you compare it to how they played in that Champions League final. I thought it was a brilliant game. Brilliant game. Absolutely brilliant. Everything I hoped it would be. Um, and we're going to have another bout of it as well, which is just brilliant. Um, Pochettino is is having a pretty strange time of it um, as PSG manager. He's sort of managing two sides, isn't he? The domestic side that have lost a lot of games since he's come in and are now, as you say, three points behind Lille in the title race. And he's also managing the European side that are getting some tremendous results, especially away from home against the big boys. Um, do you know what? In terms of Bayern Munich's approach, I think it's what you say. I think it is more a case of we're arrogant. This is us. This is who we are. They could they could almost afford to sort of see if they could stamp their authority on things and then change it about in the second half a bit, which they did. Bring on Boateng. Also, maybe next game they'll go a little deeper. But I think they could afford to say, look, we're the European champions. This is how we play. We play high. You deal with it. I mean, it was three minutes in that they got the goal, um, PSG, which probably should have been saved. They only had two shots on target in the uh, in the first half. They scored them both, so they could easily have missed them. So, yeah, I do think Poch got slightly lucky. Um, but you can afford to just sort of say, well, go and play on the counter-attack when you've got Neymar and Mbappe, who I thought were fantastic. Neymar quietly with one of my favourite performances of his, to be honest, because there was no histrionics, there was no shouting. He got two assists and a sort of pre-assist, I think, as well. I thought he was absolutely fantastic and very, very quiet on the pitch. Let all his football do the talking. I thought it was a, just a brilliant game. 
Yeah, you mentioned there that if you're buying your Champions League winners, weren't you, last season? However, as Callum pointed out earlier, if Mbappe had the same game as he did yesterday in the summer, they wouldn't have been Champions League winners, would they? So surely, Yos, that showed in the summer that Flick had to adapt his approach, especially with Neymar back for this game and obviously those front two on the counter-attack, as we've just talked about. Well, absolutely. I thought it was tactical suicide playing the high line as they did against PSG, knowing just how formidable Neymar and Mbappe are capable in being. And, you know, and what really encapsulates it is when obviously you have a midfield two of Goretzka and Kimmich. You know, we're talking about players who don't really have much of an ability to retrieve possession in quick succession. So they were always going to discover space in behind and they were always going to get great goal scoring opportunities because of that. Personally, I don't think... Uh, Pochettino really warrants the acclaim. Some people are obviously giving him as a result of the victory. I think many teams really could have performed that well if they were to have the luxury of those players on the attack. So simply from the standpoint of buying shortcomings, I didn't really think there was anything from Pochettino that he did that was of any superb standard intellectually. So that's all I'd have to say about that. The one thing about the PSG side was Marquinhos went off injured quite early on, didn't he? I wonder how the game would have unfolded if he was still on the pitch, whether PSG would have looked more solid defensively and been more solid defensively, or if we just would have seen the same outcome as unfolded. All I'd say to that is, even before Marquinhos did go off the pitch, I think they did look very open anyway, didn't they? They had lots of chances early in the game. And Johan mentioned there, Pochettino, I think he was very lucky in this match. And I think on another day it quite easily could have been a repeat, couldn't it, of that 7-2 defeat he had as Spurs manager because he played a quite a similar setup, didn't he, for PSG as he did for Spurs. The only difference really is obviously you've got Mbappe and Neymar and obviously then Bayern didn't have Lewandowski to take away those chances. I thought PSG were very unorganised defensively and I don't think they had a great structure in terms of when they regained possession, really exploiting Bayern Munich and Johan mentioned Gretzka and Kimmich if you can just get in behind those guys, you're straight on Sula and Alaba or Alaba and Boateng, players with not great pace, and you can really hurt them, especially with Neymar and Mbappe. But looking to our Champions League predictions, and we did these a few weeks back, didn't we? And Luke, you went for PSG as your predicted winners. So are you still confident that PSG will go on to win not only this leg at Paris, but go on to win the Champions League? Yeah, I think I will stick with them, actually. Uh, Bayern, as you say, could easily turn this around. They are more than capable. But without Lewandowski, as Callum alluded to, it is going to be very, very tricky. I was almost doing a sort of um, bingo of Lewandowski would have scored that. Lewandowski would have scored that every time there was a chance being snatched by Coman or or Muller in the box, who obviously is prolific himself. But there were so many chances coming. I was getting so, so frustrated with Sané, um, who was just playing the wrong ball every time yeah. or floating in and around. And the fact they couldn't bench him for a Nabry or someone else, I was getting so frustrated with him. Uh, yeah, sorry. So I, th- I think PSG, I'm going to stick with them. I don't know if there is as much acclaim coming Poch's way last night, as much as there was for that Barcelona game. Um, so I'm not sure, Johan if he is actually being showered with with tactical praise for last night, I think people would generally admit they were a bit lucky. But I think they're kind of riding quite a lot of momentum and psychologically it was big that they won it last night rather than just, just Drew. So I'm going to stick with them, yeah. So, Yo, you went for Bayern as your winners before. Do you think they can turn it around? Do I think they're capable? 
most probably simply because of, again, just how unstable, I'll put it that way, PSG are, I think, from a defensive standpoint. So I wouldn't rule them out totally as of right now. I think I actually predicted it was going to be Chelsea by Munich final deal. Is that correct? Yeah, you did predict that before, to be fair. And given that scenario, I actually think Chelsea could win, to be honest with you. I think there's a real good opportunity playing as they do. Very unstable midfield and defence. I think it would really utilise the likes of Werner to really take effect. So it should be really interesting. You both went for Chelsea, didn't you, as your dark horses, both uh, Luke and Yo's. You agreed with me, Cal, that Manchester City would go on to win the Champions League. Obviously, whoever wins that tie between PSG and Bayern, they'll then go on to meet Manchester City at the semi-final stage. So do you think Manchester City would be confident looking at the way both of those teams played in the last match? It was almost like a FIFA match, wasn't it? Lack of uh, Mm -hmm. tactical setup, lack of real structure to the team. I think Manchester City can really hurt them. I agree. But first, Man City do have to get past Dortmund and they weren't exactly convincing this week. I can definitely see Dortmund doing a job against Man City and going through. I do still think Man City will get the job done. I think it's just in the nature of their season that they're almost just scraping by, just doing enough, just just doing well enough to get the job done. There's going to be no outstanding performances from Man City. I think whether they play PSG or Bayern they'll probably give them more respect than we would have expected in previous seasons. And we'll see a lot more from Bayern and PSG, and they'll probably look better sides for it. I still think Man City will be clever enough. They'll have the defensive players to cope with either attack, especially if Lewandowski still isn't fit. I don't know if Bayern get through, whether he'll be back in time for the semi-finals. But I still see Man City going on to lift the the Champions League trophy. But definitely be interesting if it's a Man City-Chelsea final. It could so easily be that as well, because Mm -hmm. we've mentioned the deficiencies of all these defences, PSG, Bayern being unstable. Who is good defensively in Europe at the moment? You're looking at Chelsea and you're looking at Man City. So weirdly, we we might end up with those two in a final probably a nil-nil final going into extra time, purely because they can both defend, which is pretty interesting, really. Can I pose the question to Johan? If Pulisic scores <laughs> the Champions League winning goal, will you concede he's Chelsea's best ever winger? I, well, well, I've got to be honest with you, if that did take place, my ego would drop like a rock and I would never concede to you. Uh, so, so unfortunately, I would... By all means, not do anything to concede, unfortunately, Cal. But you'd have to get a tattoo of the football review. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's not a bad bet. Okay, I'll take that one. But yeah, by all means, if he did deliver in the final, I would perhaps reevaluate and say that he could at least deliver to the occasion. Is that okay for you, that, Cal? Yes, that's perfect. Capable in delivering, is that right? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah and okay. and if, Tr- if Trent scores the winner in the uh, Euros <laughs> final, will he go up to your top five for the World <laughs> Cup? <laughs> <laughs> He might make it into the No comment. (laughs) Matty Cash is going to at least be scared. (laughs) (laughs) But just before we go on to the end of the show quiz, guys, I just want to give a quick mention to Juventus in their Champions League race, of course. And in the Turin derby, Kulisevsky passed the ball across goal, very similar to what Artur did a few weeks back against Benevento. And that led to the ball being intercepted and then Sanabria scoring for Torino. He scored another goal then straight off kickoff in the second half. 
it was literally within 15 seconds. However, Ronaldo's goal late into the match arguably saved Pirlo's job with his late header. Yesterday as well then, it was a huge match between Juve and Napoli, both teams fourth and fifth heading into this match. And Juventus, to be fair to them, they came out on top. Ronaldo's early goal takes him to 25 goals for this season. Players hardly played this season. Dybala with the second goal for Juventus within five minutes of his first appearance since the 10th of January. Fantastic left-footed strike across the goalkeeper. And Inter Milan, they've really got one hand on the title now. Arguably, they've got the title in the bag now with a win against Bologna, 1-0 win there. And in their match in hand against Sassuolo, they won 2-1. That means they are now 11 points clear of AC Milan, who dropped points against Sampdoria with a one-all draw. And now to our end-of-the-show quiz, guys. And with Manchester City announcing that Kevin De Bruyne has a new deal worth more than £16 million a year, according to the latest figures from L'Equipe, excluding Kevin De Bruyne, there are 12 players that earn over £16 million a year pre-tax. And you have 30 seconds to list these 12 players. Off you go. Tough one. <laughs> more than what was it, Till? So more than £16 million a year and there's 12 million, of these yeah. players. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Pens down. I just, I just finished the name. Oh, okay. So if we start with Cal, who have you gone for as your twelve? Uh, right. So I've gone for Messi. Yep. So Messi, guys, is on a hundred seven point <laughs> six million pounds a year, pre-tax. That's about the same as me, I think. I I wouldn't get out of bed for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ronaldo yep Neymar you got the top three in order there mm, well done um, Mbappe not in order but yeah uh, oh, sorry I didn't realise it had to be in order well, it doesn't but... uh, rubbish <laughs> you're doing so well <laughs> uh, Benzema Benzema no. is not on the Surely list not no no, no. idiot Uh then I'm guessing Sergio Ramos isn't on the list. Sergio Ramos is on the list. He's ninth with a oh, annual salary no. of twenty point four eight million pounds a year. No, uh, not much, is it? <laughs> no, it's, not, it's no. not enough to live on, really, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Now I couldn't do the math quick enough in my head on this, but Abamyang. No, Abamyang's not on there. Oh, I had Abamyang. I didn't think so, but I had to write it down. Di Maria. Di Maria's not on it. No. Lewandowski? Lewandowski's on it in 11th place on a wage of £17.4 million a year. Busquets? No. That was just the last <laughs> random thought. That you were struggling there, on the, on the countdown. Uh, yeah, so that's all I've got. Okay, Luke, who have you gone for? I'll give you a few of more. I, I, I already have some of those. Uh, Zlatan? No, Zlatan's not on it. He's not oh, on really? it. Zlatan's not on it. No. Um, wow. Uh, Bale? Bale's on it. Yeah, yep. he's in. Oh. Bale's in seventh place on a wage of twenty-five point six million pound a year, and obviously Spurs are paying just forty percent of that. I say just, but that's still a lot, isn't it? Yes, it's about three hundred <laughs> grand a week. Yeah. I think. Um, Salah. No, Salah's not on it. No. Kane probably definitely no. not. Is he? Nah, nah. Um, and then Muller, but I don't think he will. Muller's be not on it. No. 
Too humble. So, Yoz, who have you got? Only, only, only five million. Yeah. <laughs> who have you got uh, on your list, Yoz? Is this in order or no particular order? Because I just kind of put them down. Don't yeah, just be in any order. It was just because Callum was uh, doing them in order. Really, that was all. <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll try. All right, all right. So I've got Messi first. Yeah. Uh, Ronaldo second. Neymar third. Yeah. I went Bale fourth. I wasn't too sure about that, but I knew he was on a lot. Uh, and he's seventh in list, but that's okay, okay, whatever. Forgot about that. Uh, Mbappe fifth, sixth. Ramos. Uh, Lewandowski maybe. Lewandowski's on it. Yeah. Um, PK. No. Do we do we rule him out? He's not on it. No. No PK. Really? There's going to be some surprising ones, isn't there? Like you know, lamp lampty. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, Hazard, Hazard. Hazard, great shout. Yeah, he's sixth on the list. Oh. Has the same salary, okay. same annual salary pre-tax as Gareth Bale on £25.6 million a year. Oh, my God, that's surprising. Yo, did you write these down or are you just guessing now? <laughs> oh, honestly, I, I think I named about eight and then you, you didn't you didn't mention Bale and I thought, I knew there was a Welsh icon that you forgot. So then that's how that came to mind. And it wasn't Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, good point, and then I, I improvised with Hazard. I just thought about him just uh, then. Yeah, I... Modric? Modric around? No, 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 Modric. No chance. Nah. Um, I... Courtois? No. Or Donnarumma? No, surely not. Must be a goalie in there. Must be a goalie. There is a goalkeeper on there, but I'll... Oh, Black? Oh, no, no, I'll give you the list now, guys, from 1 to 12. So, in first place, Lionel Messi. Second place, Ronaldo on £46.5 million a year. Neymar, 31.3 mil in third Griezmann in fourth. You've all forgot him. Oh. 29.7 million pounds a year. Luis Suarez in fifth on the same salary, same annual salary as Griezmann. Sixth Hazard, as Yoan said. Gareth Bale in seventh. Mbappe in eighth on 21.4 million pounds a year. Ramos in ninth. And the goalkeeper you all forgot, the only player, apart from Gareth Bale, of course, from the Premier League on this list, David De Gea in tenth. 18.9 million pound a year and then really yeah. in joint 11th you have Lewandowski and Manuel Neuer on 17.4 million pounds oh, a year yeah uh, I was thinking myself. Ramsdale for the keeper <laughs> <laughs> so I think Yoan won that didn't he he got most of those yeah I think he probably did um, God, I'm winning this tally honestly well, all right, all right. how, how many how many did you get then well overall in order. Yeah. So I, I think... No, overall. I, you got seven, didn't you, Yose? I think seven or eight, wasn't what? it? No, nah, it was more like oh. ten, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got six. <laughs> yeah, Luke got six, and I think Callum got about six or seven, didn't he? But um, yeah, just before we finish, guys... More like four, I think. Just before we finish with our matches to look out for over the next week, I just want to quickly mention the Champions League race in the Bundesliga and Dortmund... It was a huge loss for them against Frankfurt. A 2-1 loss following Andrew Silva's 87th minute strike. Puts Dortmund now seven points behind Frankfurt. That's a huge uphill task for them. And Wolfsburg beat Köln 1-0. So they're in a good standing now. They are now 11 points clear of Dortmund. And there's some huge matches again in the Bundesliga Champions League race this weekend. With Frankfurt playing Wolfsburg. So obviously... If Frankfurt were to lose that, and if Dortmund managed to beat Stuttgart, they could then narrow that gap to just four. Now to your matches to look out for over the next week. So I mentioned some of those big games in the Bundesliga there. 
In the Premier League, you've got Manchester City against Leeds, Liverpool against Villa, Spurs against Manchester United. In La Liga, I would say this is undoubtedly the match to look out for over the next week. Real Madrid against Barcelona, El Clasico. And surely whoever wins that match would then have the momentum then in the final stages of the season to potentially pip Atletico to that La Liga crown. And Real Betis play Atletico. So it'll be interesting to see if Atletico can resurrect their season there. And of course, you have the second leg of the Champions League quarterfinal matches. So Luke, what have you gone for as your match to look out for over the next week? I have gone for Fulham versus Wolves. Fulham have blown two massive opportunities in the last two Prem game weeks to break out of the relegation zone against Leeds and against Villa. They blew it. This is a must-win declared by even their manager, Scott Parker. So it'll be very interesting to see if they can get three points. And Cal, your match to look out for over the next week? Similarly, uh, the relegation battle is in the Premier League at the moment is amazing. So I've gone for Brighton versus Everton. Brighton with their really poor home form. Everton with uh, their really good away form. Uh, everything points to an Everton win. But Brighton, if they want to be safe, this is one of their fixtures they really, really have to win. Um, so I'll be looking out for that game. And finally, Yose, your match to look out for over the next week. Well, first of all, I cannot believe no one has selected El Clasico. I mean, we're talking traditionally the biggest game in European football. The stakes couldn't be higher for the reasons already explained by you, Dill. If if one of the teams were to win, there's a real good opportunity to eclipse Atletico Madrid and obviously then certify the victory in La Liga. I'm expecting a real competitive game. It can go either way. So undoubtedly, it has to be that fixture. Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, you've got some huge matches in the Champions League quarterfinals. And obviously, you've got that huge match in the second leg between Bayern Munich and PSG. But that's all we've got time for this week on the Football Overview. Thanks to Cal. Thanks, Yoz. Thanks, Luke. And we'll see you again next Friday evening for another episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you then. Gosh, that was entertaining. Matty Cash still, honestly. <laughs>